And so there's a wide variety of views around this idea of headship. And so it's part of what's known as a complementarian view of marriage. And I'm going to attack, uh, tackle that one in three weeks, so I'm not going to explain that further detail. Come back in three weeks, and you can under, if you've never heard that word, I'll explain it later. Okay? But, but it's part of this particular view, Christian view, toward marriage. Proponents of this view of headship or this complementarian view of marriage include people like Pastor John Piper, a theologian Wayne Grudem, and organizations like the Gospel Coalition or the, the, the Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. So those are some of the major players out there um, to talk about this view. The CMA, the Christian Missionary Alliance, to which River Life belongs, does not take a public stand on headship and marriage. So, this view, this, this idea of headship is really prevalent among churches, and especially throughout history. In fact, there is, it, is the single, it is the single most common lens or schema through which Christians look at and talk about marriage. It is the dominant message that, that Christians have received from churches and from pastors presently and throughout history. It's the dominant message about marriage that Christians hear. And if you spend any time in churches, chances are you have probably heard this idea of headship. So, so what do you think about the idea of headship? Well, for me, um, I didn't grow up Christian. My family's not Christian. And so, so I, it's not like it's something I saw um, in the, in, growing up in my house. And, and when I accepted Christ, I joined a church that... They talked about headship, but it was not a big theme of theirs. So the truth is, as, as a teenager in young tw- early 20s and through my 20s, I didn't think about it much. I knew it was there. I, I had heard of the idea, but I just didn't think about it. In fact, I basically understood headship as if a husband and a wife disagree, the husband gets the final say. That's basically it. That's, that's all I understood it to be. Well, over the years, my views have refined a little bit. So what about you? What about you? When, when, when I say the word headship, what thoughts, what emotions come to your mind? What stirs up in your heart? How do you feel about this? Now, for some of you, might, you, you might be standing and being like, well, I'm, I'm single. I'm not married, so this really isn't a big deal for, for me. But you know what? It actually is. Because odds are, if you're single, you will probably get married. Not guaranteed, but you will probably get married sometime in your life. And even if that time is a ways off, chances are even higher that you will interface with someone who is married and wants to talk to you about their marriage. So it's really important that all of us, single and married, understand how God talks about marriage. So... How do you see it? Here are a few different views, and let me know if any of this resonates with you. Okay? So maybe you think of headship in terms of decision-making, kind of like I did. Maybe that's how you see headship. Or maybe you lean toward the idea of spiritual leadership versus headship. It sounds a little nicer. It sounds less authoritarian, spiritual leadership. 
Okay, so maybe, maybe you think about that. Or maybe you believe that the Bible clearly teaches that God has created a hierarchy of men above women. Or maybe you find the idea absolutely abhorrent and you hate the idea. Even hearing me say the word makes your skin crawl and you object to it in the strongest fashion. Or maybe if you're a guy, maybe you secretly like it because it allows you to use the Bible to exercise power over your wife or your girlfriend. So deep down, you might secretly like it. Or, honestly, maybe you're just as confused as most people are on this topic. So where are you in all of this? Well, God does talk about this idea. So we have to ask, what does God really say about headship? What does he really say about husbands, wives, and relationships? Well, some topics in Scripture are very clear. Other topics are not. This one is not. As much as we might like to say or believe that it's clear, the reality is it's not. Because you will find Bible-believing, Christ-loving Christians on both sides of this debate. And both of them will analyze Greek words, study the historical context, use good, good um, interpretive practices in looking at the Bible, and they will come to different results. So that's my first piece of advice. My first piece of advice around this topic is if you ever encounter someone who says, the Bible clearly states blank, and it's about headship, marriage, submission, anything like that, don't believe them. Because the Bible doesn't clearly state. Because if it clearly stated, we wouldn't have a couple thousand years of disagreement over what this really means. So first, we just all have to understand that, that the Bible is not crystal clear. This is a hard subject. This was actually a rough week trying to put together this sermon, and how do I talk about this? So so that's my first piece of advice. But the Bible does talk about it. It does talk about it. So let's start there. Let's start there. There are two passages, two verses, excuse me, two verses in the New Testament that explicitly use the word husband and head. They are 1 Corinthians 11.3, and it reads, But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the, the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So that's the first verse in the New Testament. The second verse in the New Testament is Ephesians 5.23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. So additionally, there are maybe about a dozen verses that don't explicitly talk about it, but you can can make some interpretive conclusions, some a one-step conclusion, some a two-step conclusion that could support the idea of headship. Well... I've got some problems 
with using these two verses to create a major driving theology of marriage. I've got some issues with it. First, it's just two sentences. That's all it is. It's just two sentences. Now, it doesn't mean they can be ignored, but I am not prepared to make a major theology, to create a major driving dominant theology on two sentences. I'm just not prepared to do that. Again, I can't ignore them, but I'm not going to make them the number one teaching about marriage. Okay? Second, neither of these verses have any explanation or application in them. Grammatically, there are no commands in these verses. Or in the context, there are no commands, particularly spoken toward husbands, to explain what is meant by these two verses. This whole head, head of, and Christ head of the church, and Christ, God the head of Christ, and all this. There's, there are no direct commands. Now again, it doesn't negate them. But what it means, and this one's really important, that anyone who uses those two verses and makes application statements from them. Those applications are not coming from Scripture. They are either, excuse me, not coming from those verses. They're either coming from other verses. They're coming from teachings of church history. Or they're coming from someone's own cultural or family context. So, so that's, that's one thing that I, I'm, I'm, very, I'm a little leery of, and it's one thing you should watch out for. Okay, lastly, and this one's actually most important. Okay, lastly, to say that headship is the dominant lens through which Christian, especially men, but women as well, that Christians should look at marriage. To say it's the dominant lens, in other words, it's the main thing. I believe, completely ignores what is the largest, longest teaching in Scripture directed toward men. Those two verses that I read are not a part of that paragraph. We have in the New Testament an entire paragraph written directly toward husbands. It's unparalleled. It doesn't exist anywhere else in all of Scripture. An entire paragraph written toward husbands. And those two verses that I read are not a part of it. So, so that's, that's the issue that I have. If you want to create a major model of Christian marriage, you can't ignore the biggest, longest block of text written toward husbands. So what is that biggest, longest passage? That's what we're going to look at today. Here's the first sentence of it. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This passage goes on to talk about love four other times. That means that this passage talks about love and then subsequently sacrifice, but talks about love six times in seven verses. Think it's a major theme. And Paul starts out like he always, Paul often starts out with a good topic sentence 
and this is it. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So it is really hard to deny that love and sacrifice are the major themes of this paragraph. So, what happened in Christianity? What happened? How did a Bible teaching that is focused on love and sacrifice become co-opted by a teaching that focuses on headship, leadership, hierarchy, and authority? How in the world did that happen? How did love and sacrifice get replaced with leadership and authority and hierarchy? Well, unfortunately, I'll I'll tell you the answer to that. Patriarchy and sexism. That's the answer. That throughout history, men in power have changed the script. That they have changed the dialogue. That they have switched They took secondary verses and made them primary. And then took what I believe and what I believe Scripture attests, the primary verse, and made it secondary. And that's really unfortunate. So today, I want to take the primary verse and make it primary. The secondary verses, we're going to leave secondary. Now, I'm not saying, this is important, I'm not saying that the Bible does, does not teach about headship or about leadership. But I do not believe it is the primary theme, lens, metaphor, schema, model for Christian marriage, particularly Christian husbands. I do not believe it is the primary thing husbands should be paying attention to. It is, it is second at best. Right? That, that's why today I want to talk about that passage that I read. It's out of the book of Ephesians. Sorry, let me adjust my glasses here a little bit. Okay, there we go. Now I can read my iPad. I was just winging it at that point. Okay, there we go. So we're going to look at it. It's a passage at Ephesians. Okay? Ephesians 5, 25 through 33. And it is hands down the most famous passage in all of Scripture about marriage. We're going we're to look at the second half of it. We're going to look at the second half. Next week, my wife, Penfoa, she's going to be teaching, and she's going to look at the first half. So, so we're going to kind of reverse the order, but you're a smart crowd. I think you can follow along. So we're going to look at the second half of this. And the second half. And, and in this passage, to give you a little context, in this passage, Paul makes a command, and then he gives an analogy, and then he gives some of the results of the analogy. Okay, so that's the order that we're going to look at today. First, we're going to start with the command, and it's the one that I just read. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So first, the command. Husbands, love your wives. Then the analogy. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Think about this. This is an incredible statement. We could just stop right here. (laughs) 
Honestly, husbands, all you husbands and, and boyfriends and, and engaged guys and single guys, we could just stop right here. We could spend a lifetime living this out in our marriages or our future marriages. Think about that. So husbands, let me ask you very simply, do you love your wife like Christ loves people? It's right there. We don't, make, we don't have to do any fancy exegesis and big hermeneutical context. No, it's right there. So husbands, do you love your wives like Christ loved people? Also, do you give yourself up for her? Ooh, that one hurt a little bit. Okay? See, this is why the idea of headship as husband making the final decision, I believe, is totally flawed. I was totally wrong for about a decade of my life. And, and it's this first verse is why I believe it's totally flawed. Think about this. Christ gave himself up for the church. Christ gave up his will, his desire, his wants, his needs. He gave all of that up to die on a cross. So really, really, husbands, if you have a disagreement with your wife, looking at this verse, you should be the first one to give in. You shouldn't be the one to force your way. You should be the one to lay down your way. You're the one who should, who should give up your will. You're the one who should let go of your desires. You're the one who should stop fighting for your way. See, it totally flips the common thought, the common convention around headship. But it's right there in Scripture. So husbands, yeah. Yeah. We're the ones that have to let go of our will and our arguments and our wants and our desires. We're the ones who have to sacrifice as Christ sacrificed. Now, Paul continues. He gave a command and then an analogy. And now he plays out this analogy a little bit to show the results, the end product of it. Okay? So here it is. This is the end result of Christ loving the church. And I'll start at the beginning just to reread that one. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her, the church, to himself, as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. See, Christ's death forgives us of our sins. That if you believe in Christ, if you have said yes to Jesus Christ, he forgives you of our sin, of your sins. He doesn't make us sinless. But he frees us from the condemnation of our sins. And one day, one day, Christ will take the church, all of the followers of, of him, throughout all time and all places. 
He will take the church and make it perfect and sinless and beautiful and blameless and holy and glorious. That's what's going to happen. That's what Christ is going to do for the church. So we, the church, are better off now and one day we will be best because of what Christ did for us. So, husbands, let me ask you, is your wife better off because she's married to you? Is she better off? Are you devoted to your wife's good? Does she feel more forgiven or more condemned because she's married to you? Is she thriving or is she withering because of you? Husbands, we all should be life-giving, sin-forgiving, thriving people for our wives. That's what Christ did for the church. And that's what Scripture says we husbands should do for our wives. So I love that idea of thriving. And it's a question I will often ask husbands, whether, whether we're doing some counseling, my wife and I, and I'll ask, is your wife thriving because of you? Sometimes that's a hard question to answer. And then, if you want a really honest answer, you ask her. Are you thriving? Is your faith, your life growing? Are you more forgiven? Are you stronger in your faith because of him? So husbands, that's, that's God's call for us. Here's another set of questions. Husbands, do you sacrifice your wants for hers? Or do you push for your own? Do you fight for your hobbies, like fishing? Do you fight for your time, like staying up late gaming? Do you fight for your career so you can succeed? Are you fighting for yourself or are you laying it down? Are you sacrificing for your wives? If you're not, you're missing it. I don't care what else you believe about marriage. If you aren't loving and sacrificing, nothing else matters. Because you're missing the big thing. Now, since God knows us guys are pretty dense, in this passage, Paul goes into another analogy we figure one isn't enough. <laughs> so God's going to tell us twice. And he goes into another analogy. And this guy, this one is based off something most of us can agree on. Most of us can agree on. Guys, we like ourselves. Okay? Here it is. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body. But they feed it and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. 
for we are members of his body. And then he, he quotes Genesis 2.24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So, guys, we like ourselves. In fact, okay, some of you like yourself a little too much, okay? I've been on Facebook. I've seen you put a shirt on, okay? So, <laughs> but we do. Okay, we like ourselves. We do things that we like. We are not great at doing things we don't like, okay? We do stuff we like because we like ourselves. And that's the argument Paul is making. But to make this, he has to go back, all the way back to Genesis, Genesis 2.24. This is the verse that, I, that my wife and I talked about last week. And if you, haven't, if, if you haven't watched last week's sermon, I highly recommend you go online and watch it. Okay? Because it is the foundation of everything else. But he quotes this idea that a husband and wife are one. It's this idea of oneness. It's the fundamental purpose of marriage. So, guys, when you hurt your wife, you're hurting yourself. And none of us like to hurt ourselves. No, yeah, I might do like a double juicy Lucy with extra fries, and I might regret it the next morning, <laughs> okay? But we don't hurt ourselves. When you hurt your wife, you hurt yourself. Because that's how God created marriage. You are one. So that's why when I think about marriage, I, I, like, I like the idea of a win for one is a win for both. You see, we often think about marriage the complete opposite. If she, if she wins, I lose. If she gets her way, I don't get my way. We, we often will think about marriage as, as conflict, as two people fighting, and there has to be a winner or a loser. That's not how God created marriage. You know what it is? You have two winners or two losers. You have two people that are strong and healthy and loved and forgiven, or you have two people that are broken and hurt and damaged. Because a husband and wife are one. They are united into one flesh. That's why, that's why Paul brought out Genesis 2.24. To say that's the foundation of why would you hurt yourself? And as soon as you forget, husbands, as soon as you forget that your wife is a part of you, it's a lot easier to hurt her. It's a lot easier to take advantage of her. It's a lot easier to take her for granted when you forget that you are a part of her. You are one. That's what marriage is. So finally, Paul ends with a summary statement. He began with a good topic sentence, and he ends with a good summary statement. Okay? Of this whole section, the first half and the second half, and he once again tells husbands, love your wives. Because, again, he knows we're pretty thick. 
So in this passage, the statement, the direct command, love your wives, said three times. <laughs> okay, if we miss it at this point, we need to have our head examined. We cannot avoid it. So here it is. However, each of you, he says it again, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect the husband. Okay, I'm not going to hit that last part. Pofo's going to talk about that next week. Come back for, for her teaching on that. But again, Paul is saying it again. Nowhere in Scripture will you find a paragraph like this one, husbands. Nowhere in Scripture. It doesn't exist. Three times in seven sentences, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives. So, husbands, how's your love for your wife? How is it doing these days? Paul repeats this, this command three times. And yet Christian writers, pastors, men and women still want to talk about headship and spiritual leadership as God's primary way of looking at marriage. It's wrong. It is not the primary way. The number one way that you and I should be thinking about marriage and thinking about Christian husbanding is love and sacrifice. Love and sacrifice. It was true for Jesus, and it's true for us. So husbands, I'm going to ask you the hard questions again. Do you love your wife? Like Jesus loves people. Do you sacrifice for her? Do you give in? Do you lay down your rights? Do you lay down, put your wants and your desires second? When you disagree with your wife, are you the first one to give in? When you have a fight, are you the first one to forgive? Or do you hold on to grudges? And is your wife, is your wife thriving because of you? Is your wife thriving? Now, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of you husbands out there, I guess, I'm guessing a lot of you are thinking, man, but I just can't do that. That is way too much. I cannot do all of that. I'm just human. I can't do it. Well, you know what? You're right. You can't. And I can't. That's why we need Jesus. If we could do all of this on our own, we wouldn't need Jesus. That's why we need him. Husbands, that's why we need to fall on our faces and confess to God, I can't do this. I am too selfish I'm too lazy. I can't do it. I need you. And God meets you when you come to him. And Jesus meets you where you're at. Husbands, whether you are, you are like Mr. Universe husband 
or whether you're feeling like a complete failure. And you are one, you and your wife, you are one decision away from divorce. It doesn't matter. Because Jesus meets you where you are. If anybody can help you learn how to love and sacrifice, it's Jesus. Because he did it better than almost any person in history. So husband, that's what we got to do. We got to stop, stop trying to do this on our own or stop trying to ignore the command to even do this and turn to God and say, Jesus, help me. I am a complete failure. I am way too selfish and way too lazy to do this. God, I need your help for me to love and sacrifice. So imagine, imagine River Life family. If all of the husbands and all of the engaged guys in here and all of the soon-to-be husbands in the next year or two, imagine if we all became amazing lovers of our wives. Now, I'm not talking about lover. Well, okay, you could be that too. <laughs> but that's, not, that's a whole other sermon. But imagine if we can love our wives in incredible ways. If we can sacrifice for her if we can be relentlessly sacrificing, unabashedly loving, imagine the difference it would make. Imagine the difference in this church. Imagine the difference in your family, what your kids see, what your siblings see. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that that change, that God-driven, Jesus-empowered change can cause ripples beyond what we could imagine. And that's what I want for River Life. I want us to be a church of husbands who love their wives and sacrifice for their wives in amazing ways. And, I, and I'm glad to lead the charge in this. I'm, I'm a little better at it now than I was when I was younger. Thank goodness God doesn't judge us for who we are when we were young. Because I was an idiot. So guys, let's be great lovers of our wives. And you know what? And again, the idea is headship and leadership and all of that. It's, it's there. And if you want to talk about it, I'm glad to talk about those. But be forewarned. The first question I'm going to ask you is how well are you loving and sacrificing for your wife? Because we got to get that right, guys. We can no longer fail at that and try to succeed at other things. Let's succeed at loving and sacrificing and then worry about everything else. Join me in prayer. God, we are so thankful that you love us. God, you love us not for anything that we do, but exactly for who we are. You love us so much that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for us. 
you are a loving and sacrificing God. So let us be loving and sacrificing husbands. We can't do it. And as the pastor of River Life, I, I, I stand before you and pray for all of us husbands. We need you. We need more of Jesus in us. We need more of the Holy Spirit driving us. Lord, free us from our selfishness. Free us from our laziness. Free us from our pride. Free us from all the things that are hurting our marriages. And fill us with Jesus. That's what we need. Lord, you hear our prayers. And you desire this even more than we do. So I pray this. I pray this for all husbands and future husbands. And I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who loves us and the one who sacrificed for us. Amen.